0: welcome to our podcast, Battleground Ohio, assessing the 2016 presidential race coming to you from TV and Bowling Green State University. I'm Steve Kendall. With less than a week to go before the 2016 election, FBI Director James Comey has informed Congress of the discovery of a new set of emails that potentially pertain to Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server at the State Department. Director Comey's announcement seems to raise more questions than it answers. But one thing is certain, renewed FBI attention to the matter of Clinton's emails could shake up the race in this the last week of the campaign. Today we discuss the latest October surprise in light of efforts by both campaigns to turn out their voters. Voter turnout by whites versus minority voters and by women versus men could decide the outcome of this election. I'm joined by two experts on race and gender in American politics to discuss the matter, Dr. Nicole Caleb Hughes and Dr. Melissa Miller. First, let's remind listeners of what has happened on the campaign trail since Friday's announcement by FBI Director Comey. Melissa, bring us up to date on that.
1: So last Thursday, exactly 12 days before the election, FBI Director Comey was briefed by a team of investigators who were working on the Anthony Weiner case. Anthony Weiner is the disgraced former congressman accused of sexting with an underage girl, and he happens to be married to a top aide to Clinton, Huma Abedin. What happened is that this team of investigators um, was looking into a computer that was used by the Wieners, they were searching it in the Anthony Wiener case, and they came across emails that might be related to the FBI's prior closed inquiry into Clinton's use of a private email server when she was Secretary of State. One day later, that means 11 days before the election, Comey sent a letter to key congressional committee chairs informing them that the FBI had found these emails and that they appeared to be what he called pertinent to the prior investigation. He added that the FBI would not be able yet to assess whether or not the, the emails were significant. So he was basically saying the emails exist, we don't know whether or not they're significant, but we have them and we're going to look into them. Well, as you can imagine, Clinton the Democrats are just furious about that. They're calling Comey's statement reckless. They're saying it violated FBI policy of not releasing any information that could affect an elections outcome within 60 days. And then Senate Minority Leader a day later, um, Harry Reid, he went even further. He accused Comey of violating the Hatch Act, which bans partisan politicking by government employees. And then as of this morning, and we're taping this exactly one week before the election, The Clinton campaign is accusing Comey of using a blatant double standard and they're pointing to Comey's unwillingness to comment on potential ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. Um, The Clinton camp is saying that Director Comey is withholding evidence of Russian support for Donald Trump. So they're upset and meanwhile the Trump campaign is absolutely elated (laughs) as you can imagine because prior to the announcement the polls were narrowing. Um, But Trump, nevertheless, had this really steep uphill climb to get to 270 electoral college votes. So on the stump, he's been trying to capitalize on Comey's announcement, calling um, this renewed inquiry bigger than Watergate, uh, which is Mm. a stretch given that nobody actually knows Knows. what's in the emails. But Mm -hmm. of course, naturally, he's going to try to capitalize on this. Sure.
0: Now, when you mention that, I mean, the announcement appears that it Possibly could change the outcome of the race, but given that we don't know the depth or the content of any of these emails How do we look at it influencing the way voters might think about it since there's not not a lot of information out there?
1: Well, the Clinton campaign hopes that voters have already made up their minds Mm -hmm. And in fact, this is what Clinton herself said in Kent, Ohio at a rally last night and I think there are two things that could happen. The first way the election could be influenced is that wavering voters in the middle who might otherwise have opted for Clinton because they didn't really like Trump, they might now vote for Trump instead hmm. because they, were, they weren't really strongly in her camp. So that's a possibility. The second possibility is that voters in the middle who are loosely aligned to Clinton, were planning on voting for her but weren't very excited, will now stay home and so turnout could be affected.
2: I think I'm gonna agree I think with some of that I think um, it's possible that people are gonna just be turned off and stay home I think for the most part it seems and I could be totally off base but that a lot of people have already made up their mind about how they feel about the email regardless of whether it was the email that happened earlier this year or this new discovery and I think unless something comes out which it could in the next seven days about what's in there who the email is to who it's from what the content is I think a lot of people are, um, have already made up their mind whether they think the email is, is something that's you know, a negative to Hillary Clinton or if they're just kind of done. And
1: I think what Nikki's saying is sort of like what Bernie Sanders said way back in the primaries, that um, voters are sick and tired of, your hear- of hearing about your blankety-blank emails, right? <laughs> and um, you know, if she's lucky, that is still the case.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing is, is it possible to go more than a few months without hearing about Anthony Weiner? That's the other question that comes up. Oh. <laughs> it, it is, he is what he is, I guess. And yeah, any time yeah.
1: Clinton's name is used mm-hmm. in the same mm-hmm. sentence or the same right. news story with Anthony Weiner, it is not a good news day mm. for the Clinton campaign.
0: Right. Yeah, He just seems to turn up on a regular basis. Right. He's just an active kind of guy. Uh, now, One week out, what do the current polls tell us about each party standing among the key segments of the electorate? How clear are the patterns of support that we've seen and are seeing?
2: Well, I think um, if you look at kind of the polls just starting from after the announcement about the email, Clinton hangs on to a slight lead still. Um, We can see this change as more and more polls come out, but right, as Melissa said, this just broke on Thursday and Friday, so we don't have a huge amount of polling data to actually look at. If you look at how minority groups, right, African-Americans or Latinos feel, um, there's a pretty significant um, favoring of Clinton there. And a lot of this you can find if you, if you look just purely at, at party ID. If you look at African-Americans, um, the majority, overwhelming majority of African-Americans tend to identify as Democrats or Democratic leaning, with about 80% of African-Americans identifying as Democrat, 11% identifying or leaning to Republican, Um, but voting much more heavily Democrat. So you Mm -hmm. typically see about 90% or higher when it comes to African-Americans voting for Democratic candidates. If you look at Latinos, their partisan identification isn't nearly as locked in. Um, Mm -hmm. You have about 64% of of Latinos identifying or leaning Democrat, far lower than African-Americans, and about 24% identifying as Republican, and the rest registering as independent. And the number Mm -hmm. of Latinos registering as independents has actually grown. And it means that a lot of politicians and a lot of scholars think that the group is kind of the sleeping giant of politics, that if you can wake up the group, if you can mobilize the group, you can really significantly affect um, affect an election. And we know also that Latinos are not really a monolithic voting block by any stretch of the imagination. And so if Republicans can actually capitalize on that, the idea is that you can get Latinos turning out for Republican candidates. That hasn't... Really happened much um, much this election. Latinos are are overwhelmingly in favor in favor of Clinton. Um, Clinton holds about a three to one lead over over Trump among Latinos, and a lot of this, if you look at the polling data, isn't necessarily because Latinos are enthusiastic or passionate Democrats, but because they want to vote against Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Um, mm-hmm. And it really signals, I think, the fact that the Republican Party has not been as successful as they want to be. at at kind of reaching that that Mm -hmm. voting group and the African-American community.
0: Because I I think when you look at the, I mean, Arizona, which has typically been a red state, there was thought that because of the Latino population there, that might become a swing Mm -hmm. state. Now, it doesn't look like that's gonna happen this time around, but but it points to what you were describing, that that voting block, Mm -hmm. depending on who they, they have affinity for, is going to be a determinant in states that before were either red or blue end of message, no Mm -hmm. argument, no discussion.
1: And that's where this October surprise about these newly Mm -hmm. being investigated Clinton emails um, throw a monkey wrench really into what Clinton was anticipating would happen in terms of um, minority support from both the African-American and Latino communities being very high as Nikki pointed out if their turnout is now depressed Mm -hmm. um, because you know, they just don't have such great passion for her, particularly like African-Americans had for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, Um, and if they stay home in key states, Mm -hmm. that's where the outcome of the election could be affected. Um, What I'd say, just as a companion Mm -hmm. to Nikki's comments, is that white voters Uh, Contrarily they tend to tilt toward Donald Trump. Now not with such a big margin as you see Mm -hmm. the minority vote tilting toward Clinton. Um, So in a recent poll um, Trump got 52 percent of whites um, versus just 14 percent of blacks and Hispanics in that four-way vote uh, where respondents had to pick Clinton-Trump um, Stein or Johnson. So, um, he's got stronger support among whites but that margin isn't nearly as big. Mm-hmm. So a lot will come down to turnout. The other, um, real key, uh, set of voters to look at is that, based on that gender split, and so, um, what we see is a very clear pattern with, um, 50% of women in surveys saying that they'll vote for Clinton versus only 38% of men. So her support is much higher among women and then if you look at who's supporting Trump, it's the mere opposite. Right. 39% of women for Trump, but 50% of men. And that's a general result from recent polls. So I think 2016 is shaping up to deliver a big gender gap. It's going to probably be close and on par with the biggest gender gap on record, which was in uh, 1996. There was a... a um, 11 point gender gap in that election and I think just these current numbers show about an 11-12 percent gender gap. So I think it's, it's looking at these big differences amongst these key groups so much is going to come down to whether each camp can deliver their key supporters to the polls. Oh, right,
0: And I know when you, t- you talk about the gender gap I know with, with our ability now to have you know huge amounts of technology and project things. Um, you know, people were putting up maps of if only men voted, and of course, the, it was a whole different thing. If only women voted, two completely different maps, which point out what you were saying—the gender—the gender difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. Exactly. So, and yeah.
1: what's so interesting is the gender gap was sort of discovered for the first time in mm. 1980. That was the first time that w- the women's vote really um, uh, veered from mm. the men's vote. in exit polls and pundits at the time and even scholars thought this could be a one-time sort of anomalous election but since 1980 women have tilted Mm -hmm. toward the left men have tilted toward the right and and in any given election it's been bigger or smaller depending on that particular context and who the candidates were but i think with gender being so front and center in this campaign uh... i think we can expect a big gap this time
0: now if if we talk about uh, gender and race um, obviously, looks like they're going to play a big part in this election. Uh, let's drill down just a bit and look at how each of the campaigns have tried to reach their key target groups, whether it's, in this case, minority voters. And I guess, Nick, when we talk about minorities, how have the two campaigns addressed that minority population, which is a, a significant part of the voting block?
2: Yeah, uh, both candidates have kind of made overtures to reach minority voters in this campaign mm-hmm. with varying levels of success. Um, with the Republican Party, their emphasis both in their 2016 platform um, as well as just the campaign rhetoric about law and order, um, the linking of Black Lives Lives Matter protesters with violence, um, support of stop and frisk policies, which a federal judge has actually said were unconstitutional, um, hostile rhetoric on immigration, um, and then comments just about African American and Latino communities as being full of violence and poverty the success of their outreach has been fairly um, fairly limited. Even if we were to look just at the party generally, um, you have some members who really realize that if you want to be successful at the national level, you need, reach, you need to reach these groups. They're also faced with the challenge of dealing with members of the parties who may not quite realize that. And so in recent news, you've had um, an Ohio Party official claiming that there was no racism in the 1960s, Um, and you have a member of Congress saying um, that African Americans hate white people, and the quote is, because white people are successful and they are not. And the those comments they don't really necessarily signal um, a willingness or an interest in reaching African American voters, and while that may not be reflective of the entire party as a whole, it's those are the comments that resonate. Mm-hmm. And without a strong counter narrative, um, it's really it's really hard to um, to kind of counteract that in people's minds. And that's and and the weird stuff is what people remember. The Democrats haven't really done terribly well um, either because they're often accused of. Of taking minority votes for granted, um, and so they've, while they've had slightly more successful outreach when you compare it to the GOP, um, it's it's not it's not necessarily what minority voters by, m- minority voters might might want, and you actually see this kind of reflected if you look at Latino public opinion um, who feel that. The Democrats have their best interest at heart compared to Republicans, but you have, as I said earlier, a number of Latinos preferring to register as independent because mm. they don't they don't really see, they don't see that, that commitment. Um, you also see the fact that most candidates pay a lot of attention to the issue of immigration when it comes to the Latino population, right. but that's actually only the fourth or fifth ranked most important issue in the Latino community, um, mm. right? Education, the economy, Uh, terrorism are all all rank much higher than the issue of immigration but because the issue of immigration is so inextricably linked with the Latino population and they have a much greater experience with it really hostile rhetoric on that can actually um, can backfire and Latinos while you we have a Democratic president Obama has deported more people than all Hmm. of the other presidents in the 20th century have and has not been able to pass the comprehensive immigration reform that he promised. So they haven't really seen a, um, necessarily a, a clear outreach from the Democrats.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: When compared to the Republicans, yeah. they've done better. Yeah.
1: It's interesting yeah. to mm-hmm. imagine what the election might have been like if Marco Rubio had been the Republican nominee mm-hmm. or Ted Cruz had been the Republican nominee instead of Donald Trump with his mantra of build a wall. That is a Trumpism, Uh, you know, that wasn't Mm -hmm. something that the Republican Party came up with. um, And, you know, none of the other Republicans running were going to run on a build the wall kind of platform. So it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to think how it may have been different. The other thing I'll say is that, as Nikki noted, there are many Republicans who realize these are areas that the party needs to grow in if it wants right. to remain competitive at the national level. And, in fact, after the uh, loss in 2012, a race that Mitt Romney, they Republicans felt he should have been able to win, they did a detailed... Um, Growth and Opportunity Project really uh, was called an autopsy, really, of why they lost. And one of the key findings and recommendations was that the party had to do better amongst African Americans, Latinos, young people, and women. Hmm. And, you know, I think there are many, probably those especially involved with writing that autopsy report, who are just feeling like any progress <laughs> that they'd made is, is mm-hmm. unfortunately being undone by the kinds of things, even if they're, they are the stray Republican, as Nikki right. says, that's what gets the mm-hmm. news coverage, that's what people remember, and that's
2: what resonates in minority communities. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at the actual 2016 Republican Party platform that they just approved, the recommendations that, that GOP autopsy made did not factor their way into that, that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you still see the platform saying, we support the construction of a wall. Um, oh. And so it doesn't necessarily sound that the recommendations that the party made were really incorporated into this, this platform.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. and that's you know because the, at these conventions the nominee of the party has you know un, excessive influence mm-hmm. has and has disproportionate I should say mm-hmm. dis, right. in both parties mm-hmm. whoever that nominee is is sure. going to get to have more um, input into the platform. But again, that's just then handing the Democrats an argument right that can be used amongst minority voters to say look what's in their platform and and so I think that the GOP regardless of the outcome in in what is still a close race and it's Mm -hmm. been a tightening race and may even tighten further with the uh, latest October surprise and the FBI's announcement so um, regardless of who wins I think the GOP will be continuing to Mm -hmm. examine how to do better amongst uh, African Americans and Latinos and women as well.
0: Mhm. Well, it sounds like both parties of course need to rethink their their processes when it comes to Latinos and yes. um, yeah, and African Americans. Um, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier besides the the ethnicity questions that come up, gender, and we mentioned this before, the, the, the difference between men and women voters. Um, how have the two campaigns looked at men and women voters and their outreach or their approaches to both of those groups?
1: Well, from the very beginning of the 2016 race, Clinton has really been stressing the historic nature of her candidacy. She is the first woman to get the nomination of a major, major party. That is is truly historic. Um, and, and what's interesting is that early on in the campaign, um, her age, she's, she and mm-hmm. Trump both are relatively old, right. um, uh, relative to others who've run before them. She addressed the issue of her age by cleverly pointing out that she would be the youngest woman president <laughs> in history. So it was almost, particularly at the beginning, like she was looking for opportunities to remind voters mm-hmm. that this was an historic run. And, and on the campaign trail, throughout the campaign, she's really stressed um, her mother's life story. Her mother was abandoned as a teenager and worked as a maid. Um, so you know, Clinton had a single mother. Um, she's also frequently addressed the fact that she's a grandmother. She's talked about being a grandmother. And she's made frequent mention of the issues of equal pay and women's reproductive rights at nearly every campaign stop. So earlier in the campaign, Donald Trump accused her of playing the gender card. And Clinton mm-hmm. very gamely responded, "Deal me in to, yeah. to huge, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cheers yeah. from her Respond, adoring sure. supporters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she was, you know, just she's not afraid to, to um, be running this time as a woman. And this is the exact opposite of how she ran in 2008. Mm-hmm. In 2008, she really downplayed her gender. She was advised by her team. Uh, notably by her pollster, Mark Penn, to steer clear of of playing up her gender, oh, of reminding really? voters that she was a woman. And they advised Clinton in 2008 to emphasize her toughness and strength. At that time, the belief was that she had to prove herself ready to be commander-in-chief. And if you're talking about the fact that, you know, you're a woman, um, that that would cue voters to think about your gender. And then they would, you know, th- mm. those stereotypic questions would be raised about whether she was fit to be commander-in-chief. So... Now it's, it's widely viewed as a huge mistake, a big missed opportunity in 2008 that she um, took that route. Um, and so it's kind of little wonder that she's playing up and making numerous overt appeals to the women's vote, talking about mm-hmm. not just the issues, but her experience working on behalf of women and children. She's aired a lot of commercials that feature Donald Trump in his own words, denigrating women, which brings me to Trump. Mm-hmm. His appeal to women is problematic. Uh, for several reasons. Um, he's repeatedly pointed out that he's promoted wo- women within the Trump organization to positions of leadership and power. He's relied on his daughter, Ivanka, to be his chief surrogate on the issue. And she's been touting his support for childcare, paid family leave, and equal pay. So she's been making the policy argument for him. And while her work as a surrogate has been praised, in fact, Donald Trump's children are thought to be effective surrogates, mm-hmm. Uh, for him. There have been numerous examples on the campaign trail of Trump himself undermining the work that his daughter Ivanka (laughs) is trying to do to appeal to women. Um, So and it kind of goes way back. So early on in the primary stage he remarked about Carly Fiorina, his GOP opponent. He told voters to look at her face, he said. Would anybody vote for that face? Uh, To which Carly Fiorina had one of the best political, you know, comeback Mm -hmm. lines. Um, I think ever. He's repeatedly gotten into high-profile scrapes with a very prominent um, Fox News anchor, Megyn Kelly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, she was the first, she posed the first debate question to Trump. It was a tough question about his treatment of women. Um, and he said in an interview subsequently he had no respect for her. And uh, made reference to blood coming out of her wherever, which most women could figure out what he meant there. Um, Most men could too. Yeah, men too. In early October, of course, the Access Hollywood tape was released Hmm. um, and that was, of course, this disturbing video showing Trump who appeared to be bragging about his um, ability to grope women without their consent due to his celebrities. Hmm. So, then we had 11 women come forward. I could go on. It's just been problematic in so many ways. Right. Now, that does not mean that there aren't women in the electorate who are big Trump supporters. Right. There are. Mm-hmm. Amidst that real core of his support are women who really have no problem uh, with with the Access Hollywood video, with what he said about Megyn Kelly, um, with the women who've come forward. They are really in his camp uh, for a whole host of reasons. Um, and and so those those women voters will stay with him. The problem is these undecided women in the middle, these who really are uncomfortable with what they've heard about Trump, and will they go to Clinton? Well, maybe not with the latest emails. Might they now stay home? So I think women in the middle are a key vote hmm. to look at on election night right. and to see where they fall or if they just stay home.
0: Right Now, which, which brings us to that, that, that point of discussion where we look at that um, turnout whether it's any particular group in the electorate uh, it played a role in 2008 may have been driven up because that was the uh, possibility of electing a first African-American president. Uh, do we think the same thing could happen in 2016? You mentioned you a know, woman on the ballot first time a major party has nominated a, a woman to be president. Um, that given we've been talking about that uh, but what about the October surprise those that email announcement by the FBI director we think that will suppress that reaction, this turnout that we thought might be driven by the first woman nominee to be president.
2: So there's a lot of different factors that go into whether someone actually goes to the polls and casts Mm -hmm. a vote or does it by mail. Um, And if we compare this election to the role of turnout in 2008 and 2012, 2008 saw an historic election right, with the possibility to elect the first African-American president. Mm Overall, what's really interesting is that voter turnout was pretty close to the same as it was in 2004. What set 2008 apart was the fact that it was the most diverse in US history. And in 2008, you saw young African-Americans voting at greater proportion than you did white voters for the first time. Um, And that's something that I think really sets 2008 apart from any other election you saw similar, um, not as extreme, but similar effects in 2012 with the non-white share of the electorate increasing again um, and African-American turnout, the proportion of turnout, exceeding that of whites again. Um, 2012 actually saw a decline in non-Hispanic white voters, and that was mostly due to young people abstaining, so the effect of actually Mm. young people staying home. And part of Obama's lower vote margin in 2012 when compared to 2008 was because the mass mobilization that you saw in 2008 of young voters didn't happen as much in, in 2012. 2016, um, if everything goes as, as we think it will, is kind of poised to be the most diverse electorate in, in US history. If we look, um, we know right. African Americans are turning out in large in large numbers based on their share of the population. Latino turnout hasn't quite fared as well. Hmm. Um, okay. If you look at like the midterms in 2014, midterms have lower turnout based on right in general. But um, 2014 actually saw record low levels of Latino turnout, um, and some of this has to do with the Latino population itself. Latinos are a much younger population than any other demographic group in the US. Mm -hmm. And we know that younger voters turn out less. Um, Some of this is is they're so young that many of them are not 18. So a lot of it has to do with not Mm -hmm. just, you know, being mobilized, but also being 18. And if, candidate mobilization efforts can actually reach Latino voters right the turnout the turnout will go up the number of Latinos that have hit voting eligible age since 2012 has really increased among among the Latino Mm -hmm. population and so we kind of expect Latino voters to play a key role in battleground states where they've always been important but they should be even more important Arizona Florida and Nevada Um, but where it's kind of tricky is a lot of these voters are young Um, and so if they show up and and kind of if they vote we're not quite a hundred percent sure where they're going to go because the effect of age on um, political support is really significant in the Latino community you have older Latinos heavily supporting Clinton and you have younger Latinos who are not who aren't quite sure Um, and when you think about turnout generally considering turnout is really tricky because it's not just the presidential candidates that motivate someone to turn out.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You have a lot of state and local elections that may and also propositions. So California, um, which is a really diverse state, not just with with the Latino community, but the Asian American community as well, California has 17 ballot propositions. Ah. (laughs) um, And those range from a a $2 increase um, in cigarette tax, to um, English as a second language propositions. And so people may be actually motivated, even if they're totally turned off by the two major party candidates, Mm -hmm. they may be motivated to turn out from that. And what we know from kind of the scholarly literature, looking at when someone actually turns out among minority communities, it's um, we've seen history of Latinos being motivated to turn out with um, propositions that target Latinos. And there's some evidence that that could also roll over into a candidate effect. So hmm. the Trump effect, as it's been termed, um, there is evidence that that may motivate Latinos to turn out to kind of register a vote against Trump. Um, and so you may you may see some of that. And um, so you may kind of see different effects of, of turnout. And some states that have Latino candidates locally or state level on the ballot, the role of shared ethnicity matters as well. And so turning out maybe because you have a co-ethnic candidate on the ballot, even if you don't care about Clinton mm-hmm. or Trump. Yeah,
0: That gets you to come out to vote for that person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, whether you whether you vote for anybody else while you're there yeah. is another story, once, but at least you, you came out and yeah. voted.
2: Once, mm-hmm. once you're there, you've made
0: the right.
1: time investment in showing up. Right. In terms of women,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they are tilting, as I said before, toward Clinton. This could have a big gender gap. Mm-hmm. 2016 could have a big gender gap. Um, It may be compromised somewhat by the FBI's announcement. um, But one key thing to know about women voters is that they are a bigger portion of the electorate than men. And that's because women tend to live longer than men. Mm -hmm. So they're not 50 percent of the electorate, they're more like 51, 52 percent. So they already are more sizable in the electorate. And in addition, women are more likely to turn out than men. And the scholarly Mm -hmm. literature has looked into that and (coughs) are oh. isn't a clear answer as to why that's the case. One possibility is that women take that civic duty, that it's more ingrained in women, that they mm. should exercise their civic okay. duty to vote. Um, but what that means is women have a real opportunity to have a sizable influence, particularly because their interests and their vote preferences diverge a bit from men. So in terms of Clinton, um, that advantage she has in the polls among women, if they turn out in sizable numbers could help a lot. The big question mark, of course, is turnout amongst all of these groups because right. this is an election with monkey wrenches every week or two it's thrown into the mix. <laughs> and I think that's that leads to some unpredictability here. But I would look on election night at simply um, who's turning out in which states. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you see those exit polls, look at what percentage in a state like Florida of the exit poll results was comprised by latinos what was the percentage of whites in ohio look at what was the percentage of women versus men what was the percentage of whites versus african americans and that will give you some purchase on what the shape of the electorate ultimately is when all is said and done and a lot will just come down to who turns up at the polls
0: and and we'll see some of those states on the east coast early obviously and we'll get an idea of a trend well, we'll, uh, we'll see, we'll get together again next week, take a look and see what actually did happen in this incredibly different election year than we've ever had in terms of presidential politics, and we'll get back together. Uh, uh, Nicole Caleb Hughes and Melissa Miller, thank you so much, and we'll join you again next time on our Battleground Ohio podcast, assessing the 2016 presidential election. Next week, we'll see where we stand at that point. Thanks a lot.